Today's show is brought to you by Cobra Head. From lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota and SixFootMama.com, this is Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling. Still Growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. Luke Ruggenberg is on the show today. Luke is the author of 20 Reasons Not to Garden and Why I Ignore Them All. And it was that clever book title that led me to buy Luke's book and then track him down on Twitter and get him to be a guest on the show. Luke has worked in horticulture for quite some time. He's currently the plant manager at Ravenna Gardens a small but beloved independent garden center in Seattle. When he's not working at Ravenna, he's a stay-at-home dad of two little ones, a boy and a girl. And when time permits, as Luke likes to say, he is bushwhacking his way through the glamorous life of a self-published author of Garden Humor. We're taking a humorous look at gardening today, 20 Reasons Not to Garden and Why I Ignore Them All is a witty title with a double negative. And if you remember double negatives from your high school English classes, double negatives are two negative words used in the same sentence. And when you do that, the two negatives turn the thought or sentence into a positive one. So what we're really talking about today is 20 reasons to garden. You're going to love hearing Luke's hilarious takes on his favorite pastime, gardening. Luke's perspective is unique, drawn on the downright funny aspects of growing plants, which should be very relatable to all of us. 20 Reasons Not to Garden and Why I Ignore Them All with garden author and humorist Luke Ruggenberg. That's the topic of today's show, and it's coming up after an update on the listener community for the show and this week's Garden News Roundup. Well, welcome to the show, everyone. As you can probably hear, allergy season has really hit hard in Minnesota, and I was doing just great until a couple of days ago, and then, bam, just hit my sinuses like a freight train. So I'm doing all the right things. I went to see my allergy asthma doc. I'm on good medicine now in addition to my herbal steam. I'm doing a lot of that herbal steam that I talked about back in the fall. You know, I learned to do that from herbalist Katya Swift when she was on the show. Way back in the fall, we were talking about how to prevent cold and flu. And ever since then, whenever I have any congestion, I do an herbal steam using thyme. So I loved learning all that good stuff from Katya. And it definitely gives me some momentary relief and I think helps speed healing as well. So I'm a huge fan of that. And I'm probably steaming myself here about 12 times a day, not kidding. I'm sure there's plenty of you that are in the exact same boat. So we'll get through this and the pollen will settle down and we can get back into the gardens full swing. Well, listen, you know, I always love to start the show out with an appeal to you to listen to as many gardening podcasts as you can get your hands on, primarily because I think it's such a great way to grow and learn as a gardener. When I first discovered podcasts, that's the first thing I did was look up gardening podcasts. And, you know, back then there weren't that many, actually. This was about four or five years ago. In any case, now there are more and more. And there, I wanted to give a quick shout out this week because Deborah Prinzing passed a major milestone. And I saw her her post on Twitter, and here's what she said. 
This week marks the 250th consecutive episode of the Slow Flowers podcast. Woohoo! That is a major milestone in podcast land, where, as Deborah points out, an average podcast usually only lasts seven episodes. Podcasts take an awful lot of dedication and time and passion. So hats off to Deborah. I completely applaud your perseverance and your dedication to providing good information to gardeners with your podcast, The Slow Flowers Podcast. 250 episodes, that's major. And by the way, her latest episode is episode 349, and it's called Finding a Market for Your Flowers with Bethany Little of Charles Little and Company, and it's a great show. So definitely check it out. Just one of 250 wonderful shows that Deborah has produced. So celebrate that. The other show that I had a chance to listen to is Away to Garden with Margaret Roach. And she had on recently Dr. Jeffrey Glassberg. And the show was all about learning to ID or identify butterflies. That was a great show as well. So definitely check that out. Check out Deborah Prinzing. Get those guys on your playlist and you can just roll through all of this great gardening content. Up your level of knowledge and confidence in the garden and just enjoy. In any case, I'm very honored that you're spending some of your time here this week listening to the Still Growing Podcast. And I'd also like to make sure that you get invited to join the listener community for the show. This is a free private Facebook group that I host for listeners of the show. And these folks are made up of gardeners of all different skill levels. So you don't have to be an experienced gardener. You can be a newbie. Newbies are welcome. We have experienced gardeners. We have newbie gardeners. We have people who are coming back to gardening after taking a hiatus, every possible type of situation. Everybody's welcome. We all share a passion to learn more about plants, to become better gardeners. We're curious, we're serious, and you get to enjoy a number of different benefits by joining the group. First, you get access to all of the garden articles that I curate for the listeners of the show. They're going to just appear in your Facebook feed in that group, and then you can click there and read the article in full if you want, or just kind of peruse the things that are coming across the feed. But it's also a great way for you to win any of the giveaways that are associated with the show. I have a lot of garden authors on the show. Like Luke Ruggenberg, he'll be giving away a copy of his book. But also, my one of my past guests was Mark Highland, and he generously donated a copy of his book, Practical Organic Gardening. And the winner was Sonia Jaslow. Sonia sent me a lovely email. She said, Hi, Jennifer. I'm actually in my vegetable garden making trellises and planting marigolds while listening to your podcast. And then I heard I won that book. What an absolute thrill. I love your show for so many reasons. And I especially love the Facebook group where I am learning so much and meeting lots of awesome gardeners. Thanks again. It's the perfect price for me as I try to be more organic every year. Well, that is fantastic, Sonia, and I applaud your effort. I love that you listen to the show, and I especially love that you're enjoying the Facebook group. And by the way, shout out to Cool Springs and Corto Publishing because they do such a wonderful job of connecting authors with the show and also handling all of the giveaways. So that's fantastic. Really appreciate that. 
And then finally, you know, another reason to join the group is that you get a chance to interact with the great guests that have been on the show, like Mark Highland, like Barbara Pleasant. Oh, my goodness. That would be reason enough for me to join any group because Barbara is such a pro, author of Homegrown Pantry and numerous, countless other books. She's a wonderful expert, and I love it when Barbara chimes in and helps us out with questions we might have or just needing a little bit of inspiration. She's fantastic. So, so many great resources for you guys in the group. And hey, if you need a little levity, Luke Ruggenberg is in the group as well. And I'm sure he'll be providing a humorous bent on many of the topics that we talk about. And finally, there's no spam in the group. The content that I share with the listener community is something I work very hard to make sure is helpful and worthwhile for you. Everything I post is curated with you in mind to help you and your garden grow. So go ahead and check it out the next time you're in Facebook. Just look for, go up to the search bar and look for Still Growing Podcast Group. Our group will pop right up. You can just click to join. We'll accept you into the group and then you can see all of this great content. All right, it's time to welcome new members to this Facebook group. We'll kick things off with Troy Weathers, Guinness McLaren, great name, Amy Lynn, Maria Schusler. Michael Brown, Diane Husinga, Hattie Prim, Elizabeth McCloyd, Jennifer Shepard, Brian Madden, Sue Thompson, and Marina Kubitschek. Welcome, you guys. Don't forget, you can always call the show directly if you'd like to leave feedback or you have suggestions. The number to call is 865-333-GROW or 865-333-4769. And if you want to send me an email, you can always reach me at jennifer at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T-M-A-M-A.com. All right, before we head into the Garden News Roundup, I want to make sure that I talk to you a little bit about today's sponsor, Cobra Head. Cobra Head has been around for years. Their products are lovingly referred to as the steel fingernail by their many loyal customers. But my favorite product, I have it in front of me right now, is the Cobra Head Mini Weeder and Cultivator. I have a group of student gardeners coming over to the garden this weekend, and I know I'll loan it out to them, but I'm going to make sure to track that thing down because I don't want to lose it. I love it. Cobrahead is manufactured in Wisconsin, right next door to Minnesota. I love promoting locally created and produced products. That's fantastic. Cobrahead won a 2018 Green Thumb Award because their products are so good. Now, if you've heard the name Cobrahead before, it's for their traditional weeder and cultivator. But this mini weeder that I really like is just a smaller variation of their original product. It's just a little over eight inches long, but it still has that signature Cobrahead blade, that very strong heart-shaped tip that's so useful in the garden. Now, what I love about it is I think it's a little easier to use. It fits perfectly in my garden tote. The handle doesn't hang out, which is something else that always drives me crazy. So I'm glad that this one doesn't do that. And it's always a win when you find a garden tool that's so useful, something like this that you can use in the garden for so many different things. I use it to pry out weeds, of course, but I also use it when I'm mixing up soil or when I'm harvesting. It's great for dividing plants. There are so many uses and I love having it handy. I also have a lot of paths on my property, so it comes in really handy when I'm trying to get into small crevices. Anyway, I'm very happy that I get to share tools like these with you, tools that are simple, practical, and affordable 
Cobra Head is giving still growing listeners a 10% off promo code that you can use to purchase anything on their website, including the Cobra Head Mini Weeder and Cultivator. And if you use that code, still growing, you'll get 10% off, and that makes the Mini Weeder less than 20 bucks. So it's a great product, great price. We got Father's Day coming up, my birthday, and then garden parties, that kind of thing. So lots of great reasons to get the Cobra Head Mini Weeder. You don't have to wait for a special occasion either. And by the way, Cobrahead ships free anywhere in the United States. Love free shipping. So please support our very first show sponsor, Cobrahead. Just head on over to their website at cobrahead.com and look for the Cobrahead Mini Weeder and Cultivator. It'll get the job done. Don't forget to use the promo code Still Growing. One word or two, either works. And thank you, Cobrahead, for supporting the show. All right, now it's time for the Garden News Roundup. This is a curated group of posts and articles that I've shared over the past week with the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group, and it's made up of a dozen different segments. Now, what's nice about this for you is that you can stay abreast of the news in horticulture and gardening just by listening to this part of the show each week. And you can easily check out these curated articles and posts for yourself because I share all of it in the listener community in that free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group. So if you hear something and you want to read the full article, there's no need to take notes or track down links. Just head on over to the group and join. Well, let's kick things off with a guest update. Barbara Pleasant recently posted about a fantastic organization called Bloom. Barbara noted in a Facebook post that most horticulture fields are short on young talent. So the Bloom Initiative has been created to get teenagers interested in working with plants. The site has plenty of pop for young users and the pro-level educational modules for teachers or youth group leaders, homeschoolers. If you know a teenager with a green thumb, turn them on to bloom. That was a great resource mentioned by Barbara. I checked it out and I shared it in the Facebook group. I also want to give a shout out to herbalist Jody McKee. Jody was on the show about a year ago, right before I had my rotator cuff surgery. And she sent me this wonderful little box filled with herbal goodies to help me recover from my surgery. Well, Jody has been very busy in the past year. In fact, this weekend, she's having a grand opening for her brand new store that's called Jewelweed in honor of the beautiful Jewelweed flower. And her store is located in downtown Wyzetta. If you live in Minnesota, you know where Wyzetta is. You know about the adorable, cute shops Jody's store is right next to a caribou, so you can have a coffee and then mosey on over or vice versa, what have you. But one of the priorities that Jody has for Jewelweed is to demystify herbal medicine. And that's, I'm sure, part of the reason why the store is named after the wildflower Jewelweed. Jody has curated a collection of high quality small batch goods. She sought out women and family owned businesses who formulate their products with respect for people and natural resources. You'll find unique face and body care, books, incense, jewelry, candles, flower essences, and more. 
This grand opening weekend is going to be exciting. She has many different activities planned. On Sunday, there's all kinds of giveaways from essential oils to bath salts to homemade soap, sweet grass, all kinds of things. And then there's crystal charged water on tap there. And Jody shared a picture of her store. It's just gorgeous. And as soon as I feel better, I'll be heading down there, not only to say hi to Jody, but to check all of this goodness out. So I'll take some pictures, probably share them on Instagram. I'm getting a little bit better at sharing things on Instagram. And I tell you, if there's anything that deserves to be on Instagram, it's Jody's store by the looks of it, because it's beautiful. So check that out. You'll see it on the Facebook group. If you live here locally in Minnesota, in the Twin Cities, you want to have a fun afternoon, you have some time head on down to Jewelweed in Wyzetta. Say hi to Jody. Treat yourself. All right. In sustainability, wildlifetrust.org has an activity that's starting in June. You can sign up for 30 Days Wild. So the challenge here is that you do something wild every day through June. And they want you to come up with fun and exciting, what they're calling random acts of wildness. In fact, if you sign up, you get a free pack of goodies to help you plan your wild month of June. You'll get inspiring emails from Wildlife Trust. You'll get this wall chart, a poster. There's an interactive booklet and stickers, all kinds of things, fun things to do with the kids. And of course, the whole goal is to up your level of contact with nature. I read an article this past week about people who you know work in offices and they end up spending less than 10 minutes a day connecting with nature. And that is so bad for our health. So take the 30 Days Wild Challenge. Check that out. Head over to wildlifetrust.org. Up your commitment to connect with nature every single day during the month of June, even if you're standing outside in the rain for five minutes. Bring your houseplant with you. You'll both win. All right, in Continuing Ed, one of my favorite websites is sarahraven.com. She shared a post in May, early part of May, that's called Top Five Vegetable Seeds to Sow in May. And I liked her suggestions here. Hang on, I gotta go get my readers. Top of her list is orange and purple beetroot as her number one and number two. She said the best purple beetroot that she's grown is Cheltenham. It's about the size of a golf ball. It's very tender. And then her other favorite is the Burpees golden beetroot. Now, she does caution that this seems to have a poor germination rate. So you have to sow a good quantity of seed to get lots to eat. But she loves this one, Burpees Golden Beetroot. It's the color of buttercup with a touch of orange added in. Now, she bakes them with the skin on, and then that easily comes off in your fingers once they're cooked. So she mixes them together, throws in cloves of garlic on a baking tray, Uh, She doesn't eat the garlic, but they add a nice little extra flavor with their smokiness. So check that out. Now, her next must plant is a green salad bowl lettuce. I'm with you there. I do the same thing. She also plants a broad bean called stereo. And she wrote this. If you imagine the taste of a pea, that intense sweetness crossed with the characteristic broad bean flavor, that's what you get with stereo. You just push the seeds into the ground to your first knuckle about three inches apart, and then you'll be picking pods under 10 weeks' time. And then her final choice is this carrot that's called Saiten. And Sarah mentions that carrots are fantastic with tarragon and fennel. Couldn't agree more. 
Now, last year when she was visiting gardens, this carrot called Saiten was getting high marks all around. It's spelled S-Y-T-A-N. And here's what she praises about it. She said it has good carrot fly resistance, good germination rate, tender and tasty at almost any size. You can eat it when it's a little baby carrot, but it's equally good if you let it grow. It's fantastic. So great recommendations there. You can check out many other wonderful posts on growing over at sarahraven.com. Now, also over in Continuing Ed, thechattygardener.com did an interview with Adam Frost, garden designer Adam Frost. He's not only a designer, he's also a TV presenter. And he talks about, in this interview, his veggie plot, and he shares his top garden design tips. One of the quotes that I loved from this article is, his comment about garden design and laying out a garden space. Here's what he said. We seem comfortable laying out our houses, but as soon as we open those doors, we get in a bit of a panic. If you think about it, it's just another space. The differences are it is living, but also there's no ceiling on it. And I think that throws us a bit as well. So his recommendation is to see that space in the same way you would see the space in your home and use some of those same principles to guide you outside. I couldn't agree more. Anyway, wonderful interview over at thechattygardener.com with designer Adam Frost. So check that out. Lots of great tips there. Very practical. Also in Continuing Ed, there was a great post this week by Garden Betty. She was sharing a tip for us on garlic rust and how to deal with it. So you have this wonderful combination that happens in the spring. Cool temperatures, high humidity, and poor air circulation. Those are the common problems that create garlic rust in the garden. And it's a fungal infection. And so those things, those cool temperatures, that those moist conditions either cause or exacerbate this fungal infection. So Garden Betty wrote a great post on how you can take care of it, what you can do if your garlic is affected. So go ahead and check that out. And then finally, in continuing ed, Get Busy Gardening had a great post called 40 Versatile Vegetables That Grow in Shade. And I say this to gardeners every spring. In fact, it's one of the things I'll be talking to my student gardeners about when they come to help this weekend. And that is that just because you have shady spots in the garden doesn't mean you can't grow vegetables. So we'll be talking about the things that grow in part shade on my property, and then they can hopefully take that home to their families and transform more space into usable garden space. It doesn't just have to be full sun when it comes to vegetables. And I love what Get Busy Gardening uh, Amy did here, listing out 40 versatile vegetables that grow in shade. And her leading picture, of course, is Swiss chard, one of my favorites, one of my personal favorites that I use in part shade areas on my property. I love that. This particular post, when I shared it, was one of the most popular posts in the group and on the pages for the show. So great post. People are very interested in that. Not everybody has full sun on their property. In the how-to DIY segment, Flower Meg had a lot of little posts this week that I just loved. The first was this fun post called How to Dress Up an Orchid. And one of the gals over at Flower Magazine showed how to just take a supermarket orchid and then transform it into a gift-worthy arrangement. There was a little video that went with this. 
And then they shared this great tip from Becky Brinkman, the Orchid Center Manager for the Atlantic Botanic Garden. She said this, most tropical orchids are epiphytic and the quickest way to kill them is too much water. In the wild, orchids live on the surface of plants, so trees or other plants. Their roots are not adapted for soil. Orchids are also light feeders, so a general all-purpose fertilizer developed at one-quarter strength every two weeks is plenty, so not too much water and not too much food. Take it easy there, but great video. Martha Stewart had a fun post on outdoor furniture and decorating ideas. I spotted lots of hygge on the list. Great ideas here for how to cozy up your garden spaces. There were lanterns and textures that were featured that really do create a welcoming and warm ambience for your outdoor space. And you'll spend more time outside if you make it an attractive, inviting, comfortable place to be. And if you don't know where to start, I'll give you an idea. Start with a hammock. The kids will love it. And just maybe you'll get an extra few minutes to relax every day on your hammock, which would be great. All right, in the plant spotlight, gardenersworld.com shared a great post on 10 columbines to grow or granny's bonnets as they're commonly called because they look like little bonnets. But whatever you think about columbines... You should check this post out because it'll blow your mind the different varieties that are available. They're really quite stunning. And they offered this great reminder that columbines help fill a seasonal gap between the spring flowering bulbs and then the summer flowers before they come on. So they gave these 10 different varieties that you should check out. They were really, really great. Good reminder there. And then they also had a good post called 10 Plants with Scented Foliage. Because, of course, it's not only the flowers that give scent in the garden. Many plants have scented foliage. And, of course, I immediately think of herbs. In my book, it's hard to beat lavender. And lavender makes the top of their list. But they include things like Monarda. Oh, my goodness. The first time I planted bee balm or Monarda, I about passed out. I love that smell. Salvia. Salvia is fantastic. Rosemary. Lemon verbena. Lots of good suggestions here. All right. In the news this week was the sad news that gardener Beth Chato died. She was a garden designer and writer who won 10 golds in a row at the Chelsea Flower Show. And Beth refused to water her garden, arguing that if plants perished, they were unfit for the location. She said, I'm discovering what will stand the cold winter and the heat and drought of the summer. I hope to help people who have watering bands. Beth's spirit will live on in the gardens and her gardening ethos will continue through the work of her trust established to inspire the next generation of gardeners. But if you get a chance to read some of the articles about Beth, you'll be inspired by her six-decade career as a plantswoman, writer, and gardener. Just fantastic. All right, Country Living Magazine gave us a sneak peek at the royal wedding flowers. The key ingredients for most of the flower arrangements will be silver birch and English oak. And Philippa Craddock said, it's actually very much the foliage and shapes of the branches that will give us the shape of the designs. And if you want to follow Philippa, you, you can find her on Twitter over at Philippa Flowers. Great feed to follow. 
There was happy news coming out of the town of McAllen, Texas. McAllen is an important stop along the migration path for monarchs between Canada and Mexico. So what they're doing is they're making more habitat for monarchs, starting with their schoolyard garden. In fact, the mayor got involved, Mayor Jim Darling, and they took a picture of him helping school kids plant a garden for wildlife at Andrew Jackson Elementary School. Mayor Darling was very inspired by the monarch. He said, there is something about an insect that has that kind of willpower to survive. In January of 2016, he took the National Wildlife Federation's Mayor's Monarch Pledge, and he committed to all of the initiative's 24 ways to aid pollinators. He is one of 360 mayors in Canada, the United States, and Mexico who have created more than 3,000 acres of habitat for monarchs since the program began in 2015. Fantastic. So if you want your mayor involved in that program, just search for Mayor's Monarch Pledge and then start sending letters and making phone calls. There was a fun article featured in The Guardian. Apparently in Rome, authorities are considering using sheep to tackle their overgrown parks. I shared this in the listener community and I said, It's not a bad idea. (laughs) Hey, it is a funny show. Don't forget, we have a humorist on the show today. So, all right. Finally, did you see that there were a ton of poppies brought in to the Chelsea Flower Show? In fact, over 300,000 poppies were unveiled. They were transported from Melbourne to London to honor the servicemen and women who have fought across wars, conflicts, and peacekeeping operations for the last 100 years. It was quite an impressive sight. Lots of great photos of this, not only in the news, but on Instagram. Check out Poppies, London, Chelsea on Instagram or Twitter. You'll see all kinds of amazing pictures of the poppies there. Really neat. All right. In the dream guest segment is Steve Martino. Steve Martino is a desert gardener. He's a designer, and he's often known for his weeds and wall approach. He loves incorporating weeds, a.k.a. native plants, and walls into his garden designs. He had this really cool quote in this article that was featured in Flower Magazine. He said, I remember one of my first jobs was working for an architecture firm on a townhouse in Phoenix. We were using all the common Mediterranean plants popular at the time, none of which were native and all of which were going to require a great deal of water. I noticed that the vacant lot next door had desert plants growing like crazy with no irrigation at all. And I thought, what's wrong with this picture? I asked the head architect, how come we don't use these plants that are growing over there on their own? He said, oh, those are weeds. Relying on native plants was really difficult in the beginning of my career, but it seemed right. I like to say after 20 years, I was an overnight success. Ugh, love that quote, Steve. That's great. So there was just this fantastic interview with Steve in Flower Magazine. Check out their Twitter feed, guys. It's really, really good. It's high quality stuff. I enjoy finding this resource this weekend. Lots of great articles here. Great interviews with garden designers. And this interview with Steve Martino was really fascinating. And I love this question they asked. They said, you advise your clients to, quote, kill the lawn and save your grandchildren. Does that mantra resonate? 
And Steve said, most people I work with get it. Think about it this way. It's taken native plants a million years to get it right. Why fight it? Great interview with Steve Martino and his fantastic use of natives in the landscape and just his down-to-earth, very practical approach to gardening in a desert climate, something I appreciate. And I'm sure Pam Pennick, author of The Water-Saving Garden over in Austin, would also really get a kick out of. So that's why Steve Martino made the dream guest segment this week. All right, over in Science, Science Daily shared an interesting post about carnivorous plants, specifically how the water wheel plant works, how it snaps up its prey. The Venus flytrap and the far less known water wheel are the only carnivorous plants with snap traps. The water wheel got its name because the leaves that are on it stick out like the spokes of a wheel. There are great illustrations of this plant in this article, along with a wonderful description about how these plants actually capture prey. Very interesting. Also in science this week, Margaret Fontaine was born. She was a British entomologist, illustrator, and diarist. Her four sketchbooks of butterfly life cycles are held at the Natural History Museum in London. In the early part of the 1900s, she went to South Africa and Rhodesia on expedition. And then she wrote and illustrated sketchbooks to document eggs, caterpillars, and chrysalises. Fascinating work fascinating woman. Check out the life of Margaret Fontaine. All right. In shopping this week, I was in a garden center and they were featuring this fantastic book by Judith Hahn, simply called Herbs. This book came out in September of last year. But what I love about it is it offers not only growing tips for growing herbs, but also delicious recipes that help you transform your food And let me tell you, this is a beautiful book. But Judith Hahn has been growing herbs in her gardens in the Cotswolds for decades. She grows more than 150 herbs, so she really is an expert on herbs, and she was a great person to write this book. I loved, uh, in an article that I found that I shared in the group, she shared some of her favorites, and they include Lovage. I have that in my garden. In fact, I have it all over, so if you want some, come on over. Chervil sorrel, and oregano. And as she points out, many of the herbs that she grows are impossible to buy. You'll find the same thing once you start gardening and growing more and more herbs. And then you can just give yourself a pat on the back that you're growing them and you can be self-reliant when it comes to herbs. Easy to grow and fantastic to incorporate into all kinds of dishes And if you're looking for a really nice gift for yourself or just to learn more about it, Judith Hahn's book on herbs would be a fantastic book to start with, no question. All right, I found a really fun post about Vita Sackville West. There was a book that Sarah Raven had published called Vita Sackville West's Sissinghurst. And in this book, she gives many wonderful garden quotes from Vita. Because Vita had a garden column that was published in The Observer from 1946 to 1957. So 11 years worth of wonderful little tidbits to mine. And one of the quotes that she shared from Vita that I thought was kind of funny is uh, she was talking about planting heavily. 
And she said, my liking for gardens to be lavish is an inherent part of my garden philosophy. I like generosity wherever I find it, whether in gardens or elsewhere. I hate to see things scrimp and scrubby. Even the smallest garden can be prodigal within its own limitations. Always exaggerate rather than stint. Masses are more effective than mingies. Isn't that great? The other thing that made me chuckle is the fact that chapter six of this book on Vita is just simply called Cram, Cram, Cram. Yay! Love that. So anyway, I got this book on Amazon. I think it was about 20 bucks. It is fantastic. It's really, really pretty too. The cover is cool. And so it's nice to have just setting out it's a gardener's book, you guys. You'll love it if you check it out. I think you can get it I used on Amazon for about 20 bucks or even new on Amazon. I think it's going for 20 bucks. It was published back in 2014, but it's a great thing to add to your shopping list this summer. Another great resource for you. And then finally, here's an opportunity. This one's called Mountain States Medicinal Plants, and it's by Brianna Wiles. And there was a review of the book by Kate, I think it's Knapp, over at herbalremediesadvice.org. Now, Kate reviewed the book. She loved it. Lots of great tips here. And she's also got this great offer over at her website. If you get a copy of this book before May 23rd, you'll get bonus materials, a signed copy, and a discount. So Mountain States Medicinal Plants at a discount over at herbalremediesadvice.org. Check that out. Over at positive.news. They interviewed five folks that are considered bee enthusiasts, and they shared why they love working with bees. And the quote that I loved said, I have always loved bees. They are the sound of summer, their hum lifting my spirits and folding time. Lots of great quotes here about bees from the folks who love them most. Finally, an inspiration. There was a fun post shared in Flower Magazine about designers' favorite flowers. Here are a few excerpts that I found really charming. The first one's from Zach Posen, fashion designer. He said, As a child, lilacs were my first flower of enchantment and femininity. They remain a great source of inspiration for my collections. Martha Stewart said, The peony. I have a fondness for China, and peonies originated there. I grow tree peonies in all my gardens. They're such exquisite flowers. And then finally, Kathy Kincaid, this is the other one that I picked out, interior designer Kathy Kincaid said, roses. On my seventh birthday, my mother had to cancel my party because I had the measles. So the mothers of all my friends brought me roses from their gardens. And I had these little vases of roses all over the house. To this day, whenever I smell them, I'm reminded of how they lifted my spirits as a little girl. Isn't that sweet? Anyway, there were I, probably a dozen quotes seemed like as I was flipping through here on designer's favorite flowers. That was a fun post to share. Treat yourself. Flip through those. Check out designer's favorite flowers. Great post. All right, it's time for this week's quotables. All the quotables are from Luke Ruggenberg's book, 20 Reasons Not to Garden and Why I Ignore Them All. So funny. Here we go. Here's a quote from reason number two. Like the cleaning of a house, 
gardening never ends. For unlike, say, knitting, gardening does not result in any finished product. The garden is no knit blanket to be completed and passed down between generations, marked only by the loving and careworn touch of time. If a garden were like a blanket, oh, where shall we begin? It would suffer a continuous and weekly unraveling. Here's one from reason number four, pop the trunk. The bottom line is, you're going to need a truck for all this stuff. Every gardener has a truck, even if they won't admit it. Myself, I favor the older models. Tried and true. They don't make them like they used to and all that. My 1996 Honda Civic hatchback has been with me through thick and thin. Here's one from reason number five, gold digger. You gawked and drooled. The garden sensed you, lonely and gullible, and doubled down. Now here you are at the altar with that cute green thing, sporting your finest fleece vest, some ridiculous hat or other, clogs, and rose pruning gauntlets. Your garden-to-be says, you look good like that. You don't. Here's another one from reason number five, Gold Digger. Soon, they'll start to recognize you down at the garden center. At first, it's kind of cute. You're so blind and in love, skipping up and down the aisles, throwing plants in the cart, which don't have a shot of surviving, coming back for more when those die, hemorrhaging money with each visit. Anything to make your garden happy. It is happy, isn't it? And finally, this one. What you really need is something to symbolize the raw hydraulic power of your love and devotion. Something that says you will move the very heavens and earth for your precious little garden. Something that, wait, that's it. Move the earth. You need a tractor, a backhoe, a front loader, a skid steer, some massive piece of machinery to unearth your feelings for each other. Here's this one from reason number seven, the asylum. To the trained eye, a well-pruned plant is a thing of calm beauty, free of the subconscious tension wrought by crossing branches, dead wood, and subtle insidious disease. There is a give and take. There is communication. There is grace. But how many trained eyes do you know? Here's one from reason number 16, self-defense look. And this one he's talking about the plants in our garden. Sometimes they know you're coming before you do. I don't know how. The garden, even if it's your own so-called property, belongs to the plants. It is their territory, and you'd do well to concede that. Here's another one from the same chapter. Look, it may be time to admit you just weren't cut out for this. Don't feel bad. Not everyone has what it takes to be a gardener. Here's one from Reason 17. You're doing it wrong. 
Clean your pruners with rubbing alcohol. Clean them with bleach. Clean them with peppermint schnapps, but never, ever, ever use bleach. You know what? Don't bother cleaning your pruners. It's a waste of time. Here's one from Chapter 19, Harbingers. Oh, for the love of all that is good and right in the world, spare yourself the agony of mums. <laughs> and then this one from the same chapter. At long last, we will achieve horticultural enlightenment. With a golden explosion, this floral divinity will propagate through the metaphysical to suffuse our corporeal existence. This year, dare I say, we will become as gods. And then finally, this one from reason number 20, can quit any time. But the truth is, I can't just quit this inglorious aching, annoyingly satisfying life any more than I could quit myself. All the seeds I have planted, the gardens I have tended, the plants I have sold are now part of me. When one of these languishes, when one dies, when one flourishes or blooms or brings joy, it in some small but meaningful way connects me to a larger world across time and space and kingdoms of life. Plants and their remarkable diversity, their unknowable but wonderful separateness from man, their potential for beauty and frustration are the medium through which I and all gardeners shout ceaselessly into anyone who will listen every unspeakable angst and urge and joy of existence. Well, that's the Garden News Roundup for this week's show. Just a reminder, you can get all of these posts with links and bonus content in your Facebook feed if you join the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group. I'd love to meet you in the group. With that, let's transition to the topic of today's show, 20 Reasons Not to Garden and Why I Ignore Them All with garden author and humorist Luke Ruggenberg. Despite or perhaps because of a childhood spent dodging falling apples in his dad's orchard, Luke kept a dormant love of all things horticultural until college when his brother showed him how to germinate an avocado pit. He changed his major to botany sometime the following week and never looked back, except on occasion, to question the whole episode as one does in a fevered dream. After working for years as a professional, residential gardener Luke set his shovel aside when his body cried uncle and he couldn't do it anymore. Now, as a part-time stay-at-home dad, Luke enjoys watching his little ones learn to pick strawberries before they learn to walk or talk. Luke enjoys the satisfaction that comes from being more self-reliant. He relishes the camaraderie of other gardeners. Set aside the plants and the plant people, Luke believes that his relationship to gardening is actually an ancient unspoken compulsion. He says, there's something urgent and quintessentially human about these tricks we do with seeds and soil, this seemingly magical conjuring of food from the ground. 
As a gardener, Luke is most passionate about fruit. Or as Princess Leia might say, Luke, the fruit is with you. Sorry, couldn't resist. This is supposed to be a funny show, you know. But seriously, here's what Luke says about growing fruit. Our garden was fleshed out around a backbone of fruit. My wife and I bought our first house a few years ago in a World War II suburb of Seattle where the houses are cinder block and tiny, but the lots are a decent size. That gave us room to start with dwarf apple trees, an Olympian fig, and Italian plum tree, blueberries and raspberries, gooseberries, currants, huckleberries, grapes, and two excruciatingly slow-to-train pear espaliers. We eat a lot of fruit. If I could grow nothing else, I would grow some kind of fruit, if only a single strawberry in a pot. Our veggie bed was then carved from the heart of the backyard, and from it we coax a little of everything. Isn't that great? Luke is a writer. He has written several short stories, abandoned several novels, and he has maintained two blogs in succession, the now-extinct Callus and Chlorophyll, and his current cheeky blog devoted to gardening called Fencebroke Promontory Gardens. 20 Reasons Not to Garden is his first published book, and he's still not quite sure how he found the time to write it, nor why exactly he felt compelled to do so. (laughs) Suffice it to say that unifying all his work is a strained but committed love-hate relationship with the garden, which can only come from a career bent beneath heavy flats of wonderful plants. Today's show is a wonderful celebration of gardening. It's a welcome little break from spring planting and yard cleanup, something I know we're all very busy doing, and of course the allergies, right? And it's sure to bring a smile to your face and maybe even a chuckle or two. Here's 20 reasons not to garden and why I ignore them all with garden author and humorist Luke Ruggenberg. Well, Luke Ruggenberg, welcome to the Still Growing Podcast. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I was tickled to get you on the show, and I was trying to remember how I found out about you, but I think it's when you shared on social media your book, 20 Reasons Not to Garden and Why I Ignore Them All, and the title caught my attention, and I'm so glad I bought it and read it. So thank you for that. What was your inspiration for writing the book? Well, I had done a lot of writing as I worked as a professional gardener, just in blog form or kind of short form stuff. And I realized that a lot of it was not necessarily complaining, but just kind of the funny, irritating things that happen to every gardener and everyone who works in horticulture. And I started wondering, you know, what, well, if I have all these things that I'm complaining about or that are, you know, really funny, why am I doing this whole gardening thing? And it kind of set me off onto this path of, well, yeah, there are all these difficult things and unpleasant things about being a garden, but clearly there's something there that draws us all in. So I I really did want it to be something that, you know, gardeners would mostly like, but then even someone who was just kind of tangentially interested in it would still find it funny. So, yeah. Well, and I love how you started out in your foreword. You said, gardening is just the worst. And and then you say, why does no one believe me when I say that? Then you also talk about how if gardening is so bad, then why have you been doing it all your life? And you say the long story short is that when you started, no one bothered telling you that gardening was the worst. 
No, I got I got a lot of questions um, when I started studying plants and everything, and people couldn't quite understand why. But I never had anybody I knew who was in the the industry who came up and just said, you know, this is a lot of hard work. It's really cold and it's really muddy, and you know, your back is going to hurt and everything. So I guess this is my attempt to give fair warning to everyone. Yes, in a very, very good-natured fashion. (laughs) I hope so. Well, I tell you what, I know your book is called 20 Reasons Not to Garden and Why I Ignore Them All. But in case anyone's confused, it's really 20 Reasons to Garden. Exactly. And I I do hope that people read the subtitle when they... (laughs) <laughs> when they look at the book. And I've, I've had that problem in the store before. People will just kind of glance at it and only get the first part of the title and not quite understand it. So, yes, it is. I, I do not want to dissuade anybody from gardening. That's I right. want everyone to garden. Yeah, that's right. Well, in truth be told, your day job is to work as a plant manager. Tell us a little bit about that as well. Yeah, so I, I've been doing this for about five years now. I work at a small independent garden center in Seattle called Ravenna Gardens. And it's kind of a unique place because it's a, an open air shopping mall. And we're just this this little independent garden center that's been there for 20 years now. And my job is to take care of all the outdoor plants and to kind of abide by all the, the shopping mall rules, which is very unusual for a, a plant store. So it, it has its own unique challenges. But um, I love it there and the, the people are wonderful. Before that, I was I worked for five years as a professional gardener, and then before that, I was working in another uh, nursery. So, I've kind of seen all sides of the the horticulture industry for good and for bad. Well, I love that, and I also love your book. I love the way that it's laid out. You offer twenty reasons not to garden, but let's, in David Letterman fashion, start rolling through your reasons. I'd love to have you read some excerpts and then also just share some commentary on some of these very commonly held feelings and attitudes toward gardening. I they, I got a real kick out of them. Okay. The first okay. reason that you mention is the toy box. Tell us about <laughs> the toy box as a reason not to garden. So the toy box is basically what happens to all gardeners eventually. We start out with these plans of creating a beautiful garden and we're going to we're going to follow our plan and and we're going to have vision and it's going to be such and such and then as we get more into it we start learning to love plants and we have more of an eye for plants than for the the vision of the garden and all we can do is collect all the best and newest and coolest plants that are out there because how can you not there's so many incredible ones to choose from it's just kind of taking a realistic approach to what you're going to look like as a gardener versus what you think you're going to look like as a gardener in your book you say as the allure of individual plants becomes stronger it will begin to cloud your grand vision with base <laughs> and immediate desire and i'm sure you see this firsthand working at the nursery Oh, it's the worst working at the garden <laughs> store. I, I see, I mean, it's my job to receive all of these plants and to see them firsthand as they come in and I get to see the, the best and the newest. And it's really easy to understand why customers are taking more plants than they'll ever need or trying to put them in places where they don't have a chance to survive. And Because I do the same thing. I take home plants almost every day and I don't have a spot for them. I, they sit on a table or they... <laughs> You know, they sit outside in a holding area, and sometimes I get around to planting them, and sometimes I don't. But I can't help but take them home. I want to have them. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'd love to have you read the excerpt that starts in the middle of page 10. Let's just have you read that, and then we'll chat about it a little bit here when you're done. Okay. Here's the reading. You will squint and stand back 
and employ gravitas in your plant selections with one eye always on the big picture, the composition of your masterpiece. You will be driven by subtlety. You will be moved by grace. Above all, you will show restraint. And once you fail at each of these things, you can set about being a real gardener. Because somewhere along the way, you will surely lose the forest for the trees. More accurately, you will lose the forest for the trees and the shrubs and the vines and perennials and annuals and new cultivars and hybrids and a pink blueberry OMG must have. And well, you get the idea. As the allure of individual plants becomes stronger, it will begin to cloud your grand vision with base and immediate desire. And even though you may be drawn to these certain plants by their aesthetic appeal, the course of your plant acquisition will no more be mistaken for artistry than would a raven collecting shiny objects. Make no mistake, as your self-restraint crumbles, your painter's palette, once dabbed and smeared with promising hues and textures, will become just another surface on which to set the plants you can't seem to stop hoarding and for which you have long since run out of room. I love that. I love the part where you talk about the raven collecting shiny objects because that's what happens. So I have to say, I mean, since you work in a nursery and you've been around all these wonderful things and, and you're combating toy box syndrome, what's the answer to that? How do we prevent our gardens from becoming just a massive toy box of things we couldn't resist over the years? Uh, you keep going until you run out of room, basically. <laughs> no, I, I've definitely dialed it back since I've worked there. I've had to mostly because I have a family and, and my wife does not tolerate having, you know, our whole entire backyard full of orphan plants that have no home. So um, I've dialed it back a little bit, but um, I think it's difficult to show restraint and I don't really expect anyone to, but you can take it a little bit at a time. You can, you can look at one section of your garden and kind of be a little bit ruthless in terms of what have I put here that I didn't actually need that was just kind of an impulse. And I do this several times a year. I'll go through and just kind of yank things out. It's probably easier for me since I didn't have to pay for a lot of my plants. I got it, I get them for free, so it's easier to be ruthless. But to just kind of go back and, and revisit your garden all the time, I think that's probably the best way to, to combat this. Yeah. Well, I love your reason number two. It's titled, Like the Cleaning of a House, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and then, of course, the follow-up sentence to that is, Gardening Never Ends. That's right. It's really to contrast gardening with a lot of other hobbies out there. And there's so many different hobbies that people pursue. And most of the time, they kind of have a choice in when they do those things. You know, I give knitting as an example. You can pick up your knitting and you can set it down when you're done with it. And you can't really do that with a garden because it just keeps on going, whether or not you care about it or whether or not you have time for it. And so um, this is just kind of a funny look at, you know, how to deal with a garden that is living. It's a living organism and comprised of living things and not having the time to or not having the freedom to decide that you don't want to deal with it or you don't want to do it at any given time. It just keeps on going without you. Yes. And at a terrifying pace sometimes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your remedy for that in terms of trying to stay on top of your garden? Well, you, you kind of have to have priorities, and, and that's become true, especially since I've had kids. You have to choose what's most important to you. You know, maybe I didn't mulch that bed this year. Maybe I didn't prune that tree that, that really probably needed it. But I kept my vegetable garden going, and, and my family enjoyed strawberries all season long. So that was a victory. Yeah. And it's very rare that the whole garden will ever be all on the same page 
And you just have to be okay with that. You can enjoy parts of it, even if the whole thing isn't all humming together. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, this next title, I don't even know if I can say this correctly here, but it's called The Case of (laughs) Michael R. Clancy. I don't even know what's the last name there. you got to say this one for me. You know, it's funny because I I realized that I I might need to read this title, and then I began to have doubts of whether I could pronounce it. (laughs) Yeah, The the Case of Michael R. Clancy to Buchanan McGumbyton III. Thank you. Yeah. All right. The point of this, of course, is the insane language of plants, right? Exactly. This is about plant nomenclature. um, And it's it's especially tricky if you have to work in the industry that just nobody is saying the same thing when they're talking about plants. And when they're referring to them, there's common names, there's scientific names. The scientific names are changing all the time because scientists and, and taxonomists are constantly reclassifying things common names are different from region to region and we get people from all over the country visiting our store and from all over the world really and so i'll get references to plants that i've never heard of before that turn out to be something really quite common Hmm. and so this this section is just kind of a parable in terms of what would it be like if you lived in if you worked in an office where this thing happened with everybody's names and there were certain common names that everybody used and nicknames that got adopted and and nobody knew how to refer to anyone that's what this chapter is exploring. Yeah. Well, I liked the parallel that you draw here with with just trying to remember human names, much less plant names. You make this comment. You say, do you have a hard time remembering people's names? (laughs) And that often applies to me. I'm so excited to meet them and talk about all the stuff that they know. And then as we get going, I'm like, oh my gosh, what was their name? I can't remember. So Yeah, exactly. And these are people who it means a lot to remember. And yeah. If we can't even remember them, we, we don't have much chance with uh, with plant names. Yeah. Do you have a, a tip or anything when it comes to trying to pronounce or remember or somehow <laughs> classify plants or plant names? I'm a little bit fortunate because I studied plant taxonomy in, in school and um, it gave me kind of a framework for learning how to classify plants in terms of families and, and genus and and species. And so that's provided me a framework with being able to remember a lot of this stuff. But in terms of how to pronounce things and what to call things around customers, and I think that the trick is to just be forgiving and that most of the time there's no one right way to refer to anything. And if someone pronounces it differently from you, that doesn't mean they're wrong. And you don't have to feel vindicated or you don't have to feel self-conscious if you think you're saying it wrong. The trick is to to get on the same page with people to make sure we're talking about the same plant so we can, you know, answer questions or explore what we love about it. So just just to have patience with people and to be forgiving. Yeah. So alignment, more important than pronunciation. Exactly. Yeah. It's about communication. Mm-hmm. Now, out of curiosity, the nursery that you work in, are mm-hmm. plants referred to by common names? Are they organized by botanical names? How do you have your org- how do you have your nursery organized? So this is this is funny because we have a very unique merchandising scheme because our customer is a lot of urban small scale spaces and a lot of container design. And so people are just looking for for beautiful combinations of plants to put together in small spaces. And that's how we group plants is just by which we have color stories that we use um, and we group things that we think are pretty together and that will work well together in a pot. And so there's, there's actually no rhyme or reason to it in terms of perennial, annual, you know, family name, anything. So I'm the one who kind of has to know where every single plant is so that if somebody is looking for something specific, I can help them. But otherwise, it, it kind of relieves some of that pressure because they're not looking for a specific plant. They're just looking for that right combination that they know will work with a pot they have or with their house or something. So. 
yeah, it's a unique spot. Your next chapter is called Pop the Trunk. Mm-hmm. That's right. This one made me chuckle because I think of all the different ways I've managed to get plants home <laughs> to, to, to yeah. the Ponderosa here. I thought it'd be fun to have you read your beginning to this chapter. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to do that. All right. Here's the reading. I'm sorry, but before we get any further into this discourse, we're going to need to establish whether or not you have the necessary infrastructure in place for a successful foray into horticulture. The more you can plan and be prepared for some of the common logistical challenges you are likely to face, the more smoothly this transition will go. So first things first, if I may, what kind of a truck do you drive? <laughs> what? Why are you looking at me like that? I know the question may seem forward. We only just met after all. But let me remind you, you're the one thinking about becoming a gardener. I am merely doing what I can to mitigate your questionable life choices. You're welcome. That being said, the question remains, what kind of truck do you drive? Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean? You don't have a truck? That's not even... Look, do you want to be a gardener or not? You haven't thought this through at all, have you? Bah, you're just like the rest. You think you become a gardener and overnight, poof, plants and tools and mulch and soil and trellises and arbors and pots and edging and flagstones and tumbling compost bins and ladders and kitschy plastic yard art and lumber and paver sand and sundials and bird baths and fleece vests just magically appear in your driveway. You think you start ripping out sod and weeds and stumps and dead lilacs and fence posts and that brick path you keep tripping on and that creepy shed that might be haunted and bingo bango, the good gardening fairy swoops in while your back is turned to spirit your trash piles away to the dump. Why are you snickering? You don't think the good gardening fairy says bingo bango? Of course she does. That does it. If you can't take this seriously, I'm going to go write cautionary nonfiction for someone else. <laughs> I bet this chapter was a lot of fun to write. This this was this was a very personal chapter because I for a long time I drove a um, when I worked as a professional gardener I drove a Honda Civic hatchback just like I mentioned in the chapter <laughs> and that was my work truck I had all of my tools in there um, I had a layer of mulch and moss in my front seat that I couldn't do anything about because the car leaked and there was stuff growing in my car and it was <laughs> it was disgusting but I was able to do so much with it and this is just what gardeners are forced to do they. Not everyone can have a, a big pickup truck. It's nice if you can, but one way or another, we have to get the mulch, the plants, everything we need to our garden. And so we do what we can. Yeah. Well, Luke, listen, I mean, I have trouble getting moss to grow in my garden and you were able to get it to grow in your Honda Civic. I'm a little jealous. <laughs> well, I'm not proud of that. And uh, <laughs> my wife never lets me forget it. But um, oh. yeah, that was uh, sadly, the, the Honda Civic is no more. This last year, I finally had to retire it. So we're working on a new uh, a new work truck now. Wow. Well, I like it. And you, you talk about this whole notion of calling all these different vehicles a truck. This was one of the chapters where I was just giggling, and my husband was like, what are you laughing at? I'm like, I'm reading this gardening book. And he's not used to me laughing while I'm reading a gardening book. So I just, that, that part, I just, this one was funny. I have a Honda minivan. Van, a Honda Odyssey, and uh -huh. um, it was not enough to have a minivan and go to the plant sales here in town. I had to have my car topper oh, added on go. top. Yeah. yeah, my Thule. And I just remember my my dear friend Judy and I would get up early. We'd have to be the 
first to the plant sale. And then we would fill this car topper up. And I'm tall, so it was nothing for me to put the, the plants <laughs> up on top. And, you know, people are just watching us. Well, yeah, I kind of wish I had included the car topper. That's a great one. <laughs> I didn't even thought of that. Your second book. Your second Yeah, book. exactly. No, I mean, the, the other side of this is I, I load plants into people's cars all the time when, I, at, when I'm at work. And people are willing to put, you know, big trees in their little tiny yes. fancy convertible they can they'll put it anywhere so it's yeah. I, I see it all <laughs> yeah yeah so bear in mind these are reasons not to garden and yet we all do it <laughs> it's like exactly. happily right it's like okay that's this is great of, yep it's part of the dilemma and that's that's what i'm that's what i'm trying to figure out with this book <laughs> I love it. You know what you should do is you should have a little contest for the person who can send you the best picture of the back of their car filled with plants. <laughs> That's kind of funny. They, um, <laughs> I could totally do that. My One of my brothers, actually, after he read this for the first time, he sent me a picture of his work truck. And he's not a gardener. But he's a contractor. And he does the same kind of thing. And he sent me a picture of the back of his car that was just crammed full of tools. So apparently it's not unique to gardeners, but we, we certainly um, push it to the limit. Yeah, we do. We do. Well, reason number five, you called gold digger. So gold right. digger alert. This is really speaking to how expensive this hobby of gardening can be. Yeah, that's right. It's There's always something else to, to spend money on. And I, I just got back from the, the Northwest Flower and Garden Show that was <laughs> A couple weeks ago, and it, you have to show such restraint. And even when you do, you you end up with something you didn't mean to buy. It, you know, a lot of times it's not something you need, but it's so tempting, and it's something we all kind of deal with. It's just that there's so much merchandise, there's so many plants, so many things to choose from, and and there's a lot of really good marketing that makes us want it all. So yeah, yep. You have this line in your book. It says. How much for five flats of limelight, frost beam, splendor, hookah? You won't ask because it doesn't matter. The little garden gets whatever it wants. Exactly. Yep. And I, I have customers like this who they get totally carried away and they'll they get boxes and boxes and flats and flats of things because they can see it and they, they know what they want and and then when I ring them up for them, it's uh, it's not a pretty sight. <laughs> they, they start going back and kind of putting things back and yep. asking what they really need. But when you're in the moment, you 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 want it all. Yeah, that's right. You say once the honeymoon wears off, your bank account begins to sputter. The look on the garden center employee's face says this is getting less cute. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Every garden center has the regular customers that come in who have just just discovered gardening and they're buying more and more and more and then <laughs> and then after a while it kind of wears off and and um they get to be higher maintenance and they don't really they can't really afford what they're getting so yeah yeah now have you ever run into somebody who had a really good system for how they budget for their gardening habit every you know summer did have you seen somebody that has a good system or a good good method to yeah, try to bring funny. it in <laughs> it's funny that, that nobody seems to have a system. They, they like, there are, I, I see people at every end of the, the spectrum in terms of they just don't spend a lot or they're, and I'm one of these people, I'm very cheap when it comes to, to gardening. I don't like spending a lot of money on, on things, but I don't have a system for that. I just, I, I still get the things I want. I just only get them when they're on sale. So I guess mm -hmm. that's the biggest thing. People who shop sales um, and every once in a while we have a sale table at our store and we'll, we'll definitely get people who stop by every day to see if I've added anything new to it. So, yeah. Um, but in terms of actually budgeting for this stuff, I, I 
have never talked to anybody who, does, <laughs> who manages to do that successfully. So if you run into anybody who uh, does have a system, then let me know because um, I'm sure it'd be a popular one. <laughs> yeah. Well, the only thing I do is I start out every year and I, I have this talk with Phil where I say, okay, I'd like to do XYZ. And mm-hmm. what do you think? How much do you think we can spend on the garden this year? And we try to negotiate. Yeah. And I'm always, of course, pushing for a higher number. And he's like, what are you doing? You have, you yeah. already have all the plants you could ever need. Um, <laughs> and so we kind of meet in the middle a little bit. And truth be told, I usually go over just a little bit. I'm sure he factors that in. Um, <laughs> but this is what, what it's come to after you know 25 years of marriage. This is where we're at. So that's, this is how we do it. But I like having this this number that I can work with throughout the season, and then I don't have oh, yeah. to justify each little individual purchase. You know what I mean? Because I've got this yeah, little that's a budget. Good idea. Yeah, it certainly helps having a um, a spouse who's not as quite as into gardening as you are. If I, I know people who have, they're both hardcore gardeners and and then i have no idea how they they show any kind of restraint but it yeah it certainly helps to have that discussion with your partner before before yes. you start the <laughs> well and you know there are a couple of advantages to having him completely not in my garden compared yeah. to a lot of my friends that have a spouse involved or where they're relying on the spouse so I need the spouse yeah. to move this rock. I need the spouse to get the wheelbarrow out. I need, you know, and I, yeah. if I have those needs, I don't even even think of, of bringing Phil into the picture because it's not life-giving to him. And so I've just yeah. learned over the years, we don't do that. We've got to figure a way to either hire it done or get it done yourself, but I don't factor yeah. him into the equation. So that part I'm very thankful for. And the other is I'm very thankful that I don't have to fight with him about where things are going to be, what things oh, are gosh, in the yeah. garden. And there are a lot of spouses <laughs> that don't see eye to eye on that stuff. There, yeah, there really are. I, I know I've, I've witnessed some pretty uh, intense arguments at the at the store before. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm fortunate. My, my wife loves the garden and she loves to get out in it whenever she can. But um, she gives me a pretty uh, long leash for, for what I do out there. As long as the kids can still enjoy it, then... And we're we're pretty good. Yeah. Well, this next chapter I had to chuckle about too because you just simply call it the asylum, and it speaks to how a little over the top we can all go. Whether we're talking about pruning or seed collecting or mulching or uh, composting, uh, we can take yeah. it sometimes a little too far. Yeah, it's true. Um, and and also how the the rest of the world kind of looks at what we do because yeah. there's. We get so into our own little world of, of pruning or um, that's the example I use in, in here is pruning, but um, pretty much everything we do. And it it's, it's, becomes very important to us and, and the timing of it and the way that it's done because it becomes important. And so many people around us are just shaking their heads and, and can't <laughs> figure out why it's that important <laughs> to us or what what it is we're even doing. So, um, yeah, this is uh, supposing there's a there's a, a special place for for gardeners out there who need a little bit of therapy. That's, yeah. that's what the asylum is. Intervention, right? When you when you have a non-gardening spouse, I have to say, he is my rock and he will pull me back to earth when I start saying, <laughs> and we'll be having a fountain with a gazebo. It's like, wait a minute, lady, you know? Yeah, so he's, he's good for that. Yeah, he's good for yeah. that. This next chapter, though, uh, chapter eight, I really, really enjoyed because here you're talking about record keeping. And uh, right now, 
now we're like doing some serious record keeping in anticipation of of the gardening season. I mean, we oh, are yeah. writing things down. We've got wish lists and plans, and yep. it's all about to go completely astray. Oh, boy. It really <laughs> is. Yeah. But you say this is on page sixty-five. I love where you talk about the garden journal. You talk about this garden journal. And I have to have you read what you wrote here because this was another one that I just was like, oh, I love this part <laughs> of your book. Okay. So in this chapter, I kind of explore the idea of a fashion journal instead of a garden journal. So this journal, so this is to help people who haven't done this before uh, think of what it might be like. And it's the idea of having a fashion journal for keeping track of all your fashion choices and everything throughout the year so that you know all the mistakes you made and all the um, successes you had. So just as it relates to keeping a garden journal, which we've all tried to do. So um, this is my take on that. So I myself have no fewer than five such titled notebooks buried in shame around the office. In each, the entries begin orderly and regularly, peppered with careful wit and orderly little sketches, maybe a short poem here and there. These last through about January, all the while decaying into unrelated, yet still bulleted for some reason, lists, margin scribbles, and unfinished thoughts. By the time February rolls around, if the pages aren't just blank, they contain only a smattering of plant names, barely legible and truncated from all context or syntax. Here we go. Here's a good one. February 2011. Ham. Diane. Ah, yes, 2011. What a year. After February, several months slipped by, unjournaled, tumbling forever into the chasm of gardens past. Whoever shall know what became of a garden during these empty weeks. So that's, we're coming up on the empty weeks of the year here. Um, <laughs> where we're going to start forgetting uh, what our plans were and what we planted and what we put that, what we put where. And then a little later here. Okay, as a gardener, these half-baked annals of gardening activity are to be your legacy. Posterity will look back at your gibberish and question the sanity of its forebears. Your well-titled garden journals will provide not the timeless wisdom and memory of a halcyon rose beds and harvest moons, but rather the unsentimental clutter of attics and storage units saved by anonymous descendants only to assuage the guilt of not understanding the feeble madness of their ancestors. They will heap your sorry tomes in boxes rather than garbage bins only because, by their very quantity, if not quality, they must have meant something to someone once. As for me, I can only hope my children's children might one day stumble onto some inky scribble of haunting prescience penned at the margin of one of my crumbling journals. For this will be my message, my immortality, and my estate. February 19th, 2012. confusa no berries, times three gallons, northwest corner too big? No berries indeed. Words to live by. <laughs> Yes, our garden journals can sometimes only be deciphered by ourselves. And when that fails, no one else. Yep. Sometimes we just give up and start over. <laughs> <laughs> that more than once, too. 
Well, there's yeah, no no greater pleasure than looking back on a garden journal that you started years ago, and you can see the error of your ways, but then also just have some things where you don't even understand what you wrote. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't, especially when you're trying to find specifically like what plant you put in this bed and you can't identify it or, you know, which epimedium this was or something. You just <laughs> find it. Uh, the thing that drives me crazy is I, I keep track of my vegetable seeds and varieties that I try because I want, I do really want to know which ones to try again next year and which ones work best. And unfortunately, by the time August and September rolls around, which is the peak harvest, uh, is when I have no chance of keeping my garden journal. And so I have no idea how any of these seeds perform besides what I can remember. So, <laughs> Well, and there's nothing worse than planting something again because you've lost your mind and you can't remember that you ended up not liking it. And then halfway through that growing season, you're like, oh, what did I do? I don't like this. <laughs> I still don't like this. Yep. And I still don't like it. Exclamation exactly. mark. <laughs> yep. Oh, oh, the amnesia. Um, mm -hmm. Reason number nine, not to garden. This has to do with the weather. And you called this chapter, the service was terrible. Yep, that's right. This is just supposing that uh, that rain, which so, so many of us depend upon for irrigation and for just keeping plants healthy. Uh, it's supposing that rain was a waiter at a bad restaurant and then that you were stuck at his table all the year round, which is kind of what it feels like sometimes that we just can't get the service we want from the weather. It's um, too much when you don't need it and never there when you do want it. And uh, <laughs> place shows up for a garden party. So yeah, that's, that's right. it. That's right. Well, this, this next one was another one where I just thought it was extremely witty. It's reason number 10 not to garden, and it's called The Red-Handed Devils. And I'm not going to give this one away, but I'd love to have you read your introduction. This will definitely make people smile. The Red-Handled Devils, or as you may know them better, Falcos. I know, I know, you're thinking, now wait just a cotton-picking minute. Your inner monologue is peppered with old-timey slang, don't deny it. What's wrong with Falcos? How could everyone's favorite brand of high-end Swiss pruners present any sort of reason not to garden, much less command such a sinister title? Sure, they're a bit pricey, but what quality tool isn't? Your protest is duly noted and duly rejected. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, I have to have you read the section where you talk about the first time you experience a Felco Pruners. <laughs> this okay. is on page 75. I'll let you take it away. Okay. So this is about the first time you ever uh, try using Felcos. Here's the reading. You see, the first time you feel the smooth grip of those Felcos melt into your hand, becoming one with it in a way no tool ever has. The first time you squeeze, and it is the squeeze of man and machine, at long last united, of blade forged to very flesh and articulated for a common purpose. That first effortless snick of finely honed blade slicing through a branch like butter, and you will experience what I speak of. There, in your garden, as you innocuously perform a more or less mundane task, you will have achieved a peak life experience. Bam! Just like that. Out in the backyard wearing your grubby gardening clothes, maybe high up on a ladder, or with your head stuck in a rhododendron, wherever it may be, you will have realized the great joy of an action perfected. Then, blindsided by the unexpected, inappropriate inertia of that joy, you will fall 
to your knees and weep. You will have been caught red-handled. Oh my gosh, I love this part. And you go on to say, come on, Falco, caught red-handled. <laughs> Such a great play on words. I appreciated kind of, yeah. it. I Again, I am all in. I love your humor. Yeah, I was kind of hoping to get some free pruners out of that, but um, <laughs> so far I haven't heard back from them. So we'll see. Maybe in the future. Yeah, it's too hard to uh, to go back to anything else once you've used the perfect pruners. Yeah. Well, I, I this is a perfect time to talk to you, Luke, about what's in your garden toolbox. What are the things that you really like to use in addition to Falco? Is there anything that just you're like, ooh, I really like using this in the garden? Yeah, I can do 99% of what I do in the garden with my Falcos and a Hori Hori knife. Okay. And that's what, that's what I always tell um, customers when they're looking for the perfect garden tool to to give as a gift or to get when they're just starting out is to get a hori hori knife. Um, Cause you can dig, you can cut, you can plant bulbs, you can do everything with it. So um, those two things cover just about anything. And then I also have a pair of fine tipped pruners that I always carry around with me. And I love my folding pruning saw that, that is a um, also Falco actually, but <laughs> it also comes in handy. So you don't need a lot to do most important gardening things and, um, I could get by with those easily. Now, your fine tip pruners, are those the ones that are super little? They're pretty small. Um, the ones that I love are actually, um, the brand is ARS, and it's a Japanese brand. And um, they're sometimes they're called fruit thinning shears. Yeah. Um, yeah and those, I, I use them for lots of different things, deadheading, shearing small plants, um, deadwooding, everything like that. I, those are, I love those. That's great. Now, let's chat about your next chapter. You call it simply Zero Chance of Iced Tea Storms. Yeah, a little bit of obscure, obscure title there. Yeah. But basically, this is gardeners' inability to enjoy their downtime or their like nice weather or anything. We just continually subject ourselves to the worst exposure and the worst environment just to get out in the garden and to do what we think needs to be done. And so... We're never going to enjoy something like an iced tea storm because we think there's a stump that needs to be removed when it's 90 degrees out. So it's our own fault. <laughs> That's right. I interviewed Leslie Buck. She's the author of Cutting Back, and she had spent some mm-hmm. time in Kyoto learning how to prune from the Japanese masters. It was mm-hmm. grueling, this experience. She worked round the oh, clock, yeah. you know, six days a week, just insane. And she gets, she tells in her book, she gets one day off. And what does she do? She goes <laughs> with a friend and she goes to a bonsai show and she ends up sitting in front of a tree and staring at it for a couple of hours. <laughs> Of course she does. That's what a gardener does. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly we don't, right. We don't know how to stop. We don't know how to just stay inside and watch TV or anything. No. So. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I'm sure, how many times have you been, like, you, you've, you've clocked out, right? You're ready to go home. Yeah. And then somebody asks you a question. And an hour and a half later, you're talking about, you know, yeah. I don't know, yeah, X, Y, Z. You get carried away. You get carried away. And then especially if... um the other one is if a family member or someone uh, wants you to look at their garden real quick. Oh gosh! Um, and, <laughs> and that turns into a whole day. So, which I which I enjoy. I mean, you wouldn't do it if you didn't enjoy it on some level. That's yeah. 
those are the situations we get stuck in. (laughs) Another good reason not to garden. Well, not to mention all the friends that you make, and then you have to keep up with them. So it's it's a challenge that way. I mean, how can you not become a friend with someone who's who's brought you into one of their more intimate spaces, their garden, and then shared all their little secret confessions about it? You just feel an instant kinship with them. It is. It's a very personal thing that um, that you get to experience with, with a lot of other people. Yes. Well, reason number 12, you called the Green Reaper. And <laughs> this is a little bit of a ghost story. And I'm going to have you start this one out by telling us the tale of the Green Reaper. We'll do an abridged version. Okay. All right. The Green Reaper. Sit down, would-be gardener, if you dare and hear the tale of the green reaper. Know that all who turn the earth to sow their seeds do beg his ghoulish visitation in the night. All who pray for rain upon their crop will only be parched by his flaming scythe. All who dig will mark graves. All who plant will weep. Those who have laid eyes upon his- Oh, hey guys, what's going on here? A story? Those who have laid eyes upon- Because I love stories almost as much as I love plants. Too bad I can't seem to keep them alive. (laughs) But, you know, what are you going to do? The Green Reaper can't very well have a green thumb now, can I? Those who have laid eyes upon his horrible visage have gone mad. They say his bones are made of rotted wood. Oh, no way. Is this a story about me, the Green Reaper? Because I'm totally the Green Reaper. They say his bones are made of rotted wood. His long hair tangled of blackened roots, reeking of decay. Under his tatted vest. Yeah, the wood bones, the hair, the vest. That's totally me. Check it out. What's the matter? You don't believe me? Here, let me see that little Japanese maple you just planted. Mm-hmm. And voila, verticillium wilt. His targets are arbitrary. He strikes with cruelty and feels no remorse. Hey, come on now. I wouldn't say no remorse. I mean, I can't feel too bad about it. This is the one thing I'm good at, after all. It's what I do. I wouldn't expect you to show crippling remorse about narrating stories or whatever it is you do. But still, you know, I'm not blind. I'm sure that little maple must have cost a pretty penny. No remorse. His destruction spares neither the pride nor the sentimental. With a sweep of the arm, he claims beauty, vitality, and the little Japanese maple one carefully and tearfully dug from one's deceased grandmother's garden to save it from developers who were bulldozing the lot. No garden is safe. No gardener spared. Beware. Beware, and then beware some more. Beware the Green Reaper. Seriously, though, beware. That guy's a jerk. I heard that. I don't care. (laughs) Oh, so good. The Green Reaper. The Green Reaper. Thank you. I think everybody's seen the Green Reaper before in their garden. He's uh, everywhere. Yeah, a good reason not to garden. As is reason number 13, which you called bread season. Tell us about this. Uh, Bread season. This is actually one of my favorites. It's trying to convey going back to grocery store produce once you've grown your own food from your garden and how difficult (laughs) that is. And we're we're kind of in the middle of that right now, too, Um, right here in February, um, trying to buy tomatoes from the grocery store when you got used to. Yeah. To buying your own. So this this chapter supposes that uh, what if you could grow other things from the grocery store at home, like uh, bread products and everything, that you, every bread that you ever wanted, you could grow in your garden. And then how hard would it be to go back to the grocery store to, to buy those things again and how inferior they would seem? And that's just kind of the, the dilemma you go through once you decide to start growing your own food. We are entering peak bread season right now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's right. It's the, it's the new unofficial season from Luke Ruggenberg, and it happens, <laughs> what would you say, the end of January into April, probably. I think so, yeah. I just used the last of my, um, I grew storage tomatoes this year for the first time, and I just used the last of those, and I still haven't brought myself to go buy tomatoes. <laughs> I can't help it. You'll just yeah, go without then. Exactly. <laughs> Well, reason number 14, you call triage. Triage is the gardener's emergency room. And I'm sure everybody has their own horror story of injury that they can relate that has sent them to the gardener's ER. This is supposing that there's only one kind of sarcastic doctor that works at the gardener's ER and makes us all feel appropriately chagrined for (laughs) the mistakes that we make in the garden, whether (laughs) trying to saw through our shin bone on accident or uh, falling off a ladder as as often does happen. There's lots of different ways we've humiliated and hurt ourselves in the garden. Yeah, you're right. You know, this would be another good one to do uh, like some type of contest on social media and have people share their injuries. Okay, I'll I'll tell you mine, you tell me yours. I was, uh, let's see, I was pruning my rose, and I always wear gloves, so I I had taken the appropriate precautions, but, you know, even with gloves, those rose thorns, you know, penetrate, and this one rose thorn went, somehow, I think the branch fell onto the back of my glove, and it went into my ring finger knuckle on my right Uh side, and it, it hurt, I pulled it out, didn't think anything of it. The next day, yeah, no, the finger will not bend. And there's excruciating pain. And long story short, I ended up having surgery on that finger to get it cleaned out. Oh, you're kidding me. No, and take care of the infection. And all I have to say is do not Google rose thorn injury finger because people's fingers end up being amputated. I am not kidding. It can get out of control oh. quickly. So that's my my triage story. Oh, How about geez. you? <laughs> that's Oh, man. That makes me feel very fortunate that I survived rose pruning season when I worked as a gardener. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, ta- I take that up with a whole new level of, of uh, dubiousness now when I approach any of my, my roses. I'd gone through a period after that where I was like, no, uh-uh, no more roses. And then, of course, yeah. you you forget, you go back. But I tell you what, I still, I I do not uh, prune those without, like, a ton of protection and, and, oh and t- a lot of concentration because I don't want to get stuck. Yeah, I, I actually remember hearing that, that roses, uh, they harbor all kinds of nasty microorganisms that yeah. get right into your, your wound when it happens. And But that's the worst I've ever heard of it, man. Yeah, no, crazy. Um, the um, the worst I did was probably I, I just mentioned the the sawing the shin bone thing which I actually did one time and that Ooh. happened to me I was trying to remove a um, an old dead lilac and I was sawing through it while my daughter was taking a nap oh. and then yeah the, the branch snapped and the saw came right through onto my shin bone and, and so then I had to simultaneously figure out how to stop the bleeding wake my daughter up and take her to the emergency room with me yes when she was an infant um and that was yeah that was a i I still don't even know quite how i managed that but um yeah i've got a pretty good scar from from that one wow see you know this this is the kind of stuff that gardeners love to talk about right we talk about these things that we know instantly it's like yeah i get it (laughs) we've been there before i actually saw a poll on twitter um a couple months ago that i can't remember who put it up there but it was basically 
how many times have have you been to the ER as a re- result of your gardening experience? And oh. the, uh, I think the average was two or three from, from what people mm. had done. And it's just, that's something we put up with. Well, I hope, you know, right now there's got to be somebody listening going, ooh, I've got a story better than both of y'all. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're that person, jump in the Facebook group and tell us all about it. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> there's some good ones out yeah, there. Yeah, so good. The things we do for our sport, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, reason number 15, we're in the home stretch here, is what is seven? Tell us about this. What does this mean? A little cryptic title here. This is a pretty good time to discuss this. What is seven is um, talking about the ambiguity of the, the term hardiness. <laughs> as it relates to plants. And there's there's very clear guidelines set forth by the USDA in terms of what hardiness zones mean, but almost no one uses the, the word hardiness to mean what they intended. And so when you're working at a garden center like I do, you, uh, customers will have heard the term hardiness before and they use it to to mean whatever they think it should mean, which is anything from you know being tough or resilient or big or or I don't even know what, sometimes I can't decipher what they mean, but um, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is just the kind of the, the angst of not knowing what people are talking about with some of the jargon that we use in, in gardening. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Here's this paragraph. What's your zone? Okay. Know your zone. Which zone are you in? Battle zone? End zone? Danger zone? Cow zone? That nameless region of unmatched efficacy and productivity known as the zone. One of a select few retail outlets or restaurants specialized enough to warrant zonehood. Are you stuffing your face down at the waffle zone? Nothing so exciting, I'm afraid. We're talking USDA hardiness zones, to which most plants are ascribed membership. This system shatters the global duality of hardy slash not hardy into various geographically and climatically defined regions of hardy slash not hardy duality. These regions are numbered 1 to 13, except that wasn't quite enough, so they split each zone into A's and B's. Much better. Now, suppose a plant is said to be hardy to zone 8B. Consulting my USDA map, I see that zone 8B corresponds to an average low temperature extreme of 15 to 20 degrees Fahrenheit. What does this mean? It means next to nothing. Because sometimes a plant proclaimed hardy to zone 8B will power through a winter blast of 8 degrees Fahrenheit. And sometimes the same plant will give up the ghost when the mercury dips below 30. Why? Because they're plants. And if plants were people, they'd be just like us. Unpredictable, highly variable, and generally a pain in the butt. (laughs) And you compound all of this with the fact that For newbie gardeners who don't know their zone, they'll go Mm -hmm. into their big box store or their greenhouse or their local nursery, and they will buy a plant that is being sold, and the people selling it know it's not hardy or it's not appropriate for that zone. And, And then you feel like, as the new gardener, that these rules, these unspoken and spoken rules that have been set in place have just been completely violated. Yeah, and this is a good uh, garden center employee should be able to decipher and, and elucidate this a little bit. But when we all start out, it's it's very confusing and disheartening. Mm-hmm. And when, uh, you know, we plant something outside that just didn't have a shot of surviving. Yeah. And then it just it doesn't make it. So 
Yeah, and we're experiencing that right now in the Pacific Northwest. We're getting a, a really late winter this year. You late are. February. Yeah, it's a late late February, and we've had a week straight of sub-freezing, which is really strange for us. Okay. And that doesn't really fit into any zone hardiness paradigm, so. Yeah. You know, the other thing, too, I always think of it, it doesn't matter how long you've been gardening, we can all fall into this. I I remember last summer, you know, I love to shop clearance just as much, if not more than the next person. So there Mm -hmm. I am scouring the clearance racks and I see this plant I've never seen before. Oh, my goodness, it looks amazing. (laughs) And you immediately start to fall in love. And then you're like, wait a minute, let me check the tag. And oh my gosh, did this have no business being grown in Minnesota? <laughs> and then of course I'm scoffing at the whole situation and I'm mad at myself that I fell for it, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, you're going back on the shelf. But yeah, it's just something that you have to be ever vigilant when it comes you to do. hardiness. Yeah. And sometimes you don't know until after it already dies and then you you <laughs> you made. Yeah. That's right. Chapter 16 is called Self-Defense. That's right. Um, And this brings up the Rose story that you just shared because this is (laughs) exploring all the different ways we have to try to protect ourselves as gardeners because plants have so many different ways of trying to get rid of us. They don't want big animals like us around them. And so they have all these different ways to deter us. And still we just, we plant all the worst plants for hurting ourselves like roses and grasses that will cut you open and this is just basically bringing a, a protege through a garden and, and training them to defend themselves and to be vigilant against plants. There's a great excerpt that from this chapter that I thought would be fun for you to read. Mm-hmm. And it starts out, the first thing you have to realize is this, plants okay. are not your friends. Okay. Now, the first thing you have to realize is this, plants are not your friends. I hate to break that to you. They want nothing to do with you. They will, in fact, hurt you in order to make this preference known. They want you to go away. Unless you're a hummingbird, in which case, wait, you're not, are you? No? Well, I don't know. I thought maybe that's what all the jumping jacks were about. No? Okay, well, seeing as you're not a hummingbird, or a bumblebee, or a moth, or any other pollinating whatnot, you have precious little coevolutionary equity built up with plants. You belong, rather, to that class of big, lumbering, masticating animals against which plants spent millions of years developing guerrilla tactics to keep themselves from being unduly ingested. Sorry, but it's true. What, did you think all those unassuming houseplants were somehow neutral in all this? That's what they want you to think. And there's your first mistake. Never assume a plant is innocent, no matter how soft and sweet and pretty. Some will hurt you, some will annoy you, and some will kill you. Some will betray you. Some set their tendrils upon empire, tearing across the yard like Alexander the Great as soon as root touches soil. Some will toy with your affections, stringing you along on promises of heaven-sent or luscious fruit, but in the end requiting your love with naught but thirst and petulance and the occupation of valuable space. Some just sit there, biding their time, but never doubt they've all got some way to shank you as soon as you turn your back. Natural selection carved shibs for the plant kingdom and left instructions. Don't trust anybody. Least of all those big apes in the funny hats. <laughs> I love that one. I love that. 
as a big ape and a funny hat, I thought this was just hilarious. I mean, natural selection carved shivs for the plant kingdom. That's a great line. Yeah, oh, battles up there. <laughs> Luke, you did a great job with this. Thank you so much. It's so great. You know, this chapter is interesting because this is not the way most people think about the garden. And yet there's a lot of truth in here. There's, I catch myself having to explain a lot of this to customers sometimes where, you know, they'll, they'll come in asking, wait, that, that plant isn't poisonous or anything, is it? And a lot of times I have to say, well, yeah, it is, but so are a lot of the plants that you probably have in your garden already, and you didn't even think about it before that. Plants have so many different ways they have to defend themselves. That's what they evolved to do. And a lot of people aren't aware of that. And so they kind of have to learn it the hard way sometimes. Well, I, I want you to continue to read here. There's a, there's one more excerpt in this chapter that I just thought was fantastic. And it has to do with you begin to introduce us to some of these dangers in the garden that people cannot appreciate until they've experienced these plants firsthand. And I was chuckling, but at the same time, I had to say that I had actually had some of these experiences. And I think most gardeners, most experienced gardeners will recognize themselves in some of their bad company they're keeping uh, <laughs> as you're sharing these excerpts here. Okay, just a second. All right, now do a quick survey. Anything stand out? Take a look at that Miss Campus there. Just a grass, right? Gently rustling in the breeze. Come on over, it's saying. Come sway with me. And then slice you up like a samurai. Don't mess with grasses. Say it aloud. Don't mess with grasses. Good. Now, how about over here? Euphorbias? Hellebores? Daphne, lovely plants, really, very pretty, pretty poisonous. Ha, ha, why aren't you laughing? That was funny. But seriously, poisonous. Plants are like snakes. Unless you know for certain, just assume bad things will happen if you get grabby. Even stuff we grow for food can turn on you. Rhubarb, do you like rhubarb? Mmm, strawberry rhubarb pie, right? Rhubarb and, um, I got nothing. I can't think of what else you would use rhubarb for. Maybe some sort of bracing moonshine rhubarb brandy? Sun-dried rhubarb on pizza? I don't know. Whatever you do with it, just make sure you eat the part of the rhubarb that's food and not the part that's poison because it's got both. Ha! Uh, you're going to want to stop flailing around now. There's a yucca right in front of you. You think shotweed makes your eyes water? Wait until you impale your retina on a yucca blade. Skewer you like a kebab. Want to see my yucca scars? Too bad. Here they are. Yep. And here, and over here, yep. and here, and these bad boys right here. And then on the other side, okay, okay, I get it. You've had enough. <laughs> oh, Luke, I loved all of these. We could go on and on. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed them. <laughs> and then you're, as you end this paragraph on yucca, you say, it doesn't matter because now we've got Barberry incoming. <laughs> Barberry <It's>, is awful. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I, I planted Barberry in my garden. And I'm, I'm regretting it every time I have to go near it. So <laughs> we, we, we keep choosing these plants, even though there's many reasons not to. Yeah. Now, just, you know, you and me talking candidly here with, you know, just a few people listening in. Are there any mm -hmm. scoundrels that you've just said, you know what? No, you're not allowed in my garden anymore. Oh, boy. Um, you know, ever since I, I very nearly did impale my retina on a, um, not a yucca, but a, a hawthorn spine. Uh, when I was working in a client's yard one time, 
and I stood up underneath it and a, you know, inch and a half long thorn was a centimeter away from my eye. And so I, I refuse to have anything to do with hawthorns anymore. <laughs> they, they're really pretty when they're blooming and I don't begrudge anyone for including them. I just, it was too close of a call. Yeah. Well, it and does, actually, it gets would, personal. Yeah. I would have to include actually on that too, agave plants, which are becoming more popular as yeah. they're pushing their hardiness zones. But when you've dealt with them at the nursery, they are top heavy. And so they always fall off their shelves and you have to try to catch them against your better judgment. And then they just impale your hand. So yeah, I want nothing to do with an agave. Well, tell people about agaves here because they're getting introduced in zones where people have no understanding of what an agave is. They see it. I've yeah. seen now there's a fake agave being sold at Pottery Barn. Pottery Barn is getting into oh, yeah. all kinds of uh, fake succulents. You know, people want them. And oh, yeah. so yeah. I saw this agave and it was squishy like a pillow, kind of. And I thought, well, there you go. Somebody's <laughs> going to fall in love with it, but they're not going to realize what a real agave feels like. So tell us about this for people who just do not have any frame of reference. Well, they're they're gorgeous plants. I mean, the most common is the agave that they use to make tequila um, out of, um, that in its own right is a beautiful uh, succulent that's blue and it, it's, it's really lovely to look at pictures of it. And there's all kinds of new cultivars of it and some of them are, are kind of pushing the hardiness zones and where they can be grown. But they almost all are tipped with these just ferocious needles at the at the end of them that you just can't get anywhere near and if you have to deal with them in terms of transplanting or moving or anything you're, you're going to immediately regret it so if you can find some way to get them in the ground where they're going to survive and then back away then then you probably will enjoy them yeah and they have little would you say they're like a little thorn or a little spike what would you call that yeah botanically i don't even know what that is it's just the tip of the leaf um that's that's comes to a needle tip and is super strong so um yeah. it's it acts like a thorn yeah but it's it's wicked yeah it's like a stinger yeah. kind of mm-hmm. yeah oh, i'm glad we don't have any at the store right now mm-hmm. right now honestly mm-hmm. The advantages to living in the cold climate sometimes. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, how exciting if you if you are in an area where you can grow one. I remember talking to Pam Pennick, the author of The Water Saving Garden, and, and she had this beautiful whale tongue agave that she had named Moby. She doesn't normally name oh. her plants, but she named this one. And Moby bloomed, and they send this bloom up, I guess, 20 feet in the air. Of course, it's going to die. (laughs) It's going to die when that's over. But um, I just remember hearing about that going, okay, now that would be cool. Although I would also be very sad to know that my my baby is going to be dead here as soon as that bloom time's over. Yeah, it's kind of a, a lesson in in uh, impermanence in the plant kingdom. But mm-hmm. yeah, they are they are gorgeous plants. And yeah, if you do get to see one bloom sometime, it's it's stunning. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, reason number seventeen. We're in the final three. You call it. You're doing it wrong. This one I love. This is one of the things that I guess inspired me to start podcasting about gardening so that people Mm -hmm. don't feel this way or feel bad about this. But tell us about this whole you're doing it wrong chapter. Yeah, this is this is kind of a a rant on my part that the chaos of trying to be a gardener when everybody is telling you that you're doing it wrong and there's there's experts from every corner saying that they know the right way to do it and the best way to do it and you need to be doing things this way and you need to be using these plants and and um if you're not then it's tacky or you know it's just trying to navigate this quagmire of advice from every corner of the the horticulture business and basically you have to learn to set it all aside 
and just get out there in the garden and enjoy your garden and you will learn as you go and you don't need to listen to all of these people shouting at you. Yeah. Let's have you read the introduction to this section because I, I just thought it was such a great way to kick it off. Okay. You're doing it wrong. All of it. Everything. Anything. The whole gardening thing. You name it and you're almost certainly doing it wrong. Novice, amateur, enthusiast, professional, expert. None of you could get it right if your lives depended on it. Go back to knitting. Go back to fencing. Go back to competitive Scottish Highland games. Whatever. I don't care. Go back to doing anything at which you are not so laughably awful. <laughs> you know, there's plenty to criticize. You talk about in, in your book, you, you mention in this chapter, tools. We talk about, oh, you mm -hmm. don't have the right tools. We talk about gardening philosophy. You say, yeah. your gardening philosophy is juvenile. You have no ideas of your own. Let's talk a little bit about this. I, I liked that you included this, and I'm sure mm -hmm. that you run into this as you're yep. working with people or even when professionals come into your nursery talking about their plants or talking about yep. marketing. What are some yep. of the things that you you kind of bristle at when you... Just, just that you have to have a single philosophy, that, that that idea is out there, that you buy this book and you you read it and you learn how to garden this way and... People who do a different do it a different way are doing it wrong, and um, you get garden designers who really swear by a certain technique or a certain design aesthetic, and whether or not they intend to do it, they make people feel very, very inadequate with their own choices in their own garden. And um, you know, you don't have to choose one philosophy. You can feel and act with your garden in different ways, and it doesn't have to coincide to some worldview. That doesn't mean you can't adopt certain beneficial things from from other philosophies, but we, we don't need to be so rigid about it. And we certainly don't need to make people feel bad for the way that they garden. Yeah. Mother Nature is unpredictable and tries a lot of different things. And I think mm -hmm. we would be wise to relax a little bit and do the same thing in, in counterpoint yeah. to what she's doing. Exactly. A little bit of go with the flow, I think, would be yeah. beneficial. Yeah. yeah. Reason number 18 you call paparazzi. <laughs> I, I don't know if too many people can relate to this, but that's because it's a it's a scenario that doesn't really exist in the horticultural world. And it's just kind of making fun of the lack of glamour and, and glitz and celebrity in the, the horticulture and gardening world. It's kind of a ride along with a supposed uh, celebrity gardener um, and the absurdity of such a concept and, and how it's not a, an industry that really or a hobby that really lends itself to that kind of fame. So it's just kind of a funny take on that, that we're not really a very glamorous bunch. Imagine if you are a company that's trying to sell gardening apparel and the uphill climb mm -hmm. that you have with that because so many people garden in their old t-shirt or their husband's old exactly. t-shirt or, you know, their clothes from high school that they still have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mentioned in here that the idea of this celebrity gardener having a, an endorsement for knee pads that he has to wear and the whole concept is ridiculous because, yeah, you're right. People garden in whatever they have. It's it's not something that you need you know, celebrities endorsing things for. Yeah. Well, and I always contend that the very dedicated gardeners are the ones who get home from church or some big event where they're all dressed up and then they see something. And instead of doing the right thing, going in and taking <laughs> care of their nice clothes, they just go out into the garden and they ruin it. You know, they get, you know, stains on there or they think... <laughs> think, oh, I'll be careful. And then next thing you know, well, there you have yeah. it. I mean, that's really the sign of, of a true gardener in my mind. 
I just caught myself doing that last week. <laughs> I, had, I had just bought like new clothes myself for the first time in years. And I came home from going out um, with my wife, I think, and just saw something in the backyard. And then five minutes later, I realized I'm weeding in the yard in my brand new clothes. Yep, yeah, that's what we do. That's what we do. That's right, Luke. That's right. Well, reason 19, you say, is harbingers. Yeah, harbingers are... I think uh, anybody who's worked in the horticultural industry will recognize mums as the the harbingers of fall and and um, the the winter. And I use this kind of as a metaphor for the winter of our own lives and how mums are, are an unfortunate reminder every year that everything comes down to the same plant that we're faced with in fall. And I think it's probably a personal thing just having worked in in the gardening business for so long. And you know, every year fall comes around and mums are what we have that's that's what it comes down to the the mums are coming the mums are coming (laughs) it's like no oh yeah i didn't think about that from a nursery perspective but you see those mums coming in and you know it's it's just about over yeah you're just kind of resigned to the to the rest of the year and it's it's hard not to feel that way because the rest of the year there's there's so much to look forward to and and everything is new and exciting and um with new plants and new opportunities and then every fall it just comes back to moms and that's that's what we're left with it comes back to moms it's all down to moms moms yep. the word. <laughs> there you go <laughs> i couldn't resist luke i couldn't resist um okay reason number 20 reason number 20 here we go it's called can quit anytime yeah and this is just kind of my summary of you know so why because really i can't quit anytime i i tell myself that and there are times when i ask myself why i'm still working in this industry and when it hurts my body and and it's inglamorous and dirty and and everything but still i get out of bed and i i couldn't imagine doing anything else and um this is kind of exploring my own reason for doing so, despite all these other reasons not to garden and me kind of hoping that everyone out there, anyone reading will ignore all the sarcastic reasons I, I list not to garden and to go out and find their own reason to garden. Because um, once you do it, very few people ever stop gardening. Yeah. Well, let's have you end by reading your closing paragraphs here that I thought were so touching and they will definitely resonate with the diehard gardeners, all the folks listening, because this is what life is like for a gardener. Here's the reading. Even on mornings when I can barely get out of bed, if the dawn's glow happens to slant just so through the blinds, it rouses me with the reminder that there is still sunlight to catch. Never mind that the flesh is weak, For if the sun and soil are willing, there is clearly and always more gardening to be done. The motive force of this compulsion is difficult to articulate, but can perhaps be approximated as a sort of fetishized existential guilt. Floundering for meaning in this current and siliconed age, I once chanced upon a long, strong green vine, which disappeared above me and below. I clung tightly to it and its own tendrils wound about my hands. Now I cannot bring myself to sever whatever this real or imagined horticultural tendon is, which reaches back into our species' deep history to provide anchorage and flexion to our modern might. If I let go and walked away, it would be to the abandonment of the only heritage I have ever strongly felt, and thus the guilt. What sort of person would I be? If the sun rose above the trees, 
to find my hand empty and clean, the ground fallow and tending to feral. It is not too much of a stretch to suggest that I might feel more animal than human, more criminal than free. So I get out of bed, ice my back, taking ibuprofen and plant some collard greens. I prune a client's rose. I explain once more impatiently the difference between pansy and viola. I wait for rain. As to the ultimate origin of my own fixation, I cannot say for certain, though I suspect it may lie overgrown in an abandoned orchard near the banks of a muddy slough where I spent my youth. There, whatever fruit still grows, falls heavy to the fertile ground below to be eaten or decomposed or germinated anew by whatever posterity possesses humor and tenacity enough to look past however many reasons not to garden for the one much better reason to do so. May you find your own. Uh, Luke, I loved it. I loved it. 20 reasons not to garden. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Oh, thanks for thanks for doing that. Well, Luke, I tell you what, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they mm-hmm. do that? Where do they find you on social media? So I am on Twitter at Luke Ruggenberg. I maintain a blog called Fencebroke Promontory Gardens, and that's at fencebroke.blogspot.com. I am recently on Instagram at Luke Ruggenberg and yeah, I post a lot of pictures of my garden um, with kind of some sarcastic comments along the same voice as as I write in my book. And if people want to get a copy of your book, where can they do so? Uh, it is available on Amazon, both in a physical copy and for Kindle e-readers. Um, it's also available from CreateSpace for wholesalers, for booksellers and, and the like. So those are the two main venues, unless you want to come down to Ravenna Gardens, where we also sell it in Seattle. So anybody in the area, you can stop by. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, Luke, this has been super fun. I really, really appreciate getting to know you a little bit. And I'll see you on Twitter for sure. So, Well, Jennifer, thank you so much again. It's been really nice talking to you and it's been very easy talking to you which is which is really nice so that's great and i do i do love the podcast that you're doing i finally just got a um amazon echo so i can listen to podcasts more now that's great yeah that's one of my favorite ways to listen too so that's great yeah well luke it was a goal of mine to get a chance to talk to you because that once i got your book and started reading it i just could not put it down it's a quick little read but it is totally delightful on every page. It's wonderful and very, very funny. So 20 reasons not to garden and why I ignore them all. I'll have a link to it in the Facebook group and on the post for this particular episode. But again, it was a pleasure meeting you. And thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful talking to you as well. Have fun with those babies. I'm telling you, you're going to blink and they're going to be old (laughs) teenagers. I know it's going to happen. It's already happening. (laughs) Yeah. It just goes so fast. So enjoy it. Enjoy it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. All righty. Bye-bye. Okay. Take care. Bye. Well, that's it for our show today on 20 Reasons Not to Garden and Why I Ignore Them All with garden author and humorist Luke Ruggenberg. 
I hope today's show tickled your garden funny bone and gives you a lighter step as you head out to your garden or the garden center this week. And I'd also like to make sure to remind you about today's sponsor, Cobra Head, and my favorite Cobra Head tool, the Mini Weeder. And don't forget, you can get 10% off your order when you use the promo code STILLGROWING. Just a reminder that the show notes for this episode will be under the Still Growing podcast page over at my website at sixfootmama.com. That's the number six, F-T-M-A-M-A.com. I'm so thankful to my team over at Podfly Productions, my editor and project manager, Eric Begay, and my copywriter, Ein Kadina. I'd also like to thank the women who make up my listener advisory board, Beth Engel, Beth Gardens in Illinois. She works at Griffin, a national brokerage firm and one of the finest companies in horticultural service. And Beth is also a board member of the PPA, the Perennial Plant Association. Denise Pugh, Denise Gardens in North Mississippi and is a contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener Magazine. Patricia Chandler Newport. Patricia is the owner of Backyard Urban Gardens out of Kego Harbor, Michigan. Amy Von Atchen. Deb Gibson, and Peggy Ann Montgomery. Peggy Ann is the brand manager over at American Beauty's Native Plants, and she was featured on the show back in episode 553, where we talked all about how to incorporate more natives into your landscape. For my sign-off today, I leave you with this thought from Luke Ruggenberg to help you grow. Grow something edible, anything, Whatever your living situation, there's bound to be something you can try. I've grown mint in a dorm room, beans on a balcony, and carrots in a bucket. You don't need to dive in head first. You don't need to grow everything. Just pick one thing at first. Trust me, you'll feel more pride and joy picking the two little berries on your dwarf potted blueberry plant that weird guy at the garden center talked you into than in all of your previous food encounters combined. And then you'll want to grow everything, and my work here will be done. Have a great week, everyone. Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling is a SixFootMama.com production made in lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota. Still Growing is a weekly gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. 